um, by reading your words, Jesus, reading your words about worry and about anxiety. And typically we make so many decisions rooted out of worry and anxiety, just fear of what might happen or fear of what might come next or how a situation might look, and then we just make a decision. And Father, I know that your calling on our lives is to be able to wait well and be able to have patience and to uh, make decisions based on perspective and less about emotions. And so, Father, uh, we want to do it well, Lord. We want to do it right. We want to give glory to you. And we want to be able to position ourselves in life um, to make important decisions in important times and to do them with wisdom. And so, Father, I just thank you for the example and for the model um, that you just have put in your word of people who have just kind of done it well and maybe done it not so well. And I thank you for your word that you've given us to encourage us and to help us learn more. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to start off by asking you a question. I wrote it down here. I wanted, And don't answer it out loud. It's just rhetorical, something to think about, okay? I don't want you to unveil anything right now, okay? Um, let's see here. How well and for how long, so how well and for how long can you handle irritating and frustrating emotions. How well and for how long you might already be annoyed because I'm repeating it. That's a sign this message is perfect for you. So how well and for how long can you handle irritating and frustrating emotions? Okay, now you know the truth. And I'm not trying to tease anything out. It's just an honest question. And it's one that, I, of course, I ask myself because um, every message preparation is not just like, what am I going to say? That's, that's, that, that's not what a message preparation is. A message preparation is, um, Father, like, what do you want to say? How, how do you want to communicate this? And I, I don't want to, like, pretend to say anything where you're not doing this own work in my own heart. It's not about something to say. It's about give me a, a message, like, from you that can be helpful or like I've connected with your heart I don't want just something to say people always got something to say I don't want just something to say so I had to wrestle with this too so how well and for how long can you handle irritating and frustrating emotions um, so I'll just let you think about that question and how you do that how well you know how well can you handle I think we know what we mean by how well do you explode? Is, do you have a short wick in your life? Is it longer? Are you an explosive person? Are you a suppressor? Are you a denier? You know, how well to kind of like handle things and, and when they come about. Um, how long? Um, some people can go a pretty long time. Some people cannot go very long at all. And irritating and frustrating emotions. We're complex beings the way God made us, Right? And he made us with emotions. And how many people know that if they weren't worthwhile, then he wouldn't have given them to us? So that must mean that they matter. And it must also imply and mean that they're not all bad. But it may also mean that they can't be dictators of whatever we do next. Right? So indicators, not dictators. Um, 
things that help to guide us, but they don't necessarily control us, right? I wanted to share with you our latest trend right now in our parenting with our kids. So the latest trend we're in right now as we parent our kids is I continue to ask Judson and I ask Jaren because they just ask so many things all the time. So they always have requests. All the, and, and a lot of times they don't even request. They're just more like demands. So because there are all of these demands, it turns into a discussion now about waiting. So we're trying to teach them and show them to, number one, before you ask something, to try and have even a little bit, just try to have a little bit of an awareness of who you're asking and what they might be doing when you're asking them. Because they'll both fire into the kitchen. And Julie's already got seven things she's working on. She's thinking of another nine. And she's hearing for the 43rd time what each of them want to say. And many times, or that would happen to me or it happened to both of us. And so, like, right, they're at the age now to where you at least have to start. Ha- they won't get it perfectly, obviously. But we have to now start to introduce the idea that, hey, you got to have an awareness. Like, mommy and daddy, listening, we hear you. A lot of times we say, we heard you. We say, wait a minute. But we're doing, like, this and this and this. So next time, if you could, just, mommy, daddy, are you doing something right now? Just ask that first, if you can. And then, depending upon what we say, like, we'll go from there. I know, so we're going to try and teach that. Um, and then another thing that we're trying to get into is because of that whole dynamic of demands and asking a lot of questions, we have to get to the P word. Please, for sure. And the concept behind that entire thing is patience. So when they get really stuck on something, they just come in and so daddy can, I want my yogurt. Can I have my yogurt? I need my juice. Where's my juice? Uh, I need this car. He took my thing. You know, it's just like a whole thing. And so they come racing around the corner with all this stuff. And usually I stop them and I say, hey, I say, what's the P word? <laughs> and it was really funny. <coughs> Excuse me. In the beginning, I'd say, what's the P word? And we're just starting it. And especially Judson, he just gives you the big smile. And I just freeze him. I say, what's the P word? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> I just love the response, you know what I mean? Like... He's not mad about it. He knows we talked about it, but he's so stuck on his thing, he can't even remember, you know, what we talked about. I don't know. And then, like, we start to talk about it more, and then maybe, you know, Judson will come back in. Jaron's getting better because he's older, so he catches on a little bit quicker to say, what's the P word? Patience, you know, and then he smiles, and he usually just leaves, and, and it goes okay, and then he kind of comes back. And, but we can work with it a little bit. He's a little bit older. But for Judson... Uh, now I say, what's the P word, bud? And now, please. And it's like, well, he's kind of getting there, like part of it, you know? And then he's got like three other P words he throws in there to kind of be silly sometimes. But, you know, we're learning this idea of uh, patience. And we're just starting, at least for us as parents, and for those of you that are older parents, or you have nephews or nieces or grandkids or whatever, right? You see this dynamic within, you know, us as humans to where we start to, um, there's this thing in our lives where we have to be able to wait for things and we can't have them exactly when we want them. And it's very interesting. That's not new information, by the way. And if that's new, like, I'm glad, I hope that helps you. But 
it's not new information. We learn that in life, and we live in this world and in this life where we can get so many things so fast. I mean, you just Google it right now, like you'll find something about something. And much of that carries into the church. And a lot of what God reveals to us and what he wants to do in relationship with us, much of it is not intended to happen in a moment. So right now, you have questions, and you have things in your life, and you have things that you're just sitting on with God. And you're just like, I want, I want to know this. Like, I, I desire to know something about this, about that, about this, about that. And I would say that's good. And I would say continue to ask God and wrestle with those things. But I would just encourage you to not just give up if you don't get the answer right away. Because many times we come to a church, oh, oh, they talked about this topic, and then, you know, if a pastor or somebody at a conference or some you thought it was going to be a particular way, and then they didn't get to it, and you're like, oh, you know. And then you never actually go and wrestle with God on it. You're completely missing the entire purpose of relationship. Then it just turns into like an informational session that you hope you get the information that you need. And God was never like, hey, just get the information you need from me. God was always about being in relationship with me. Connect with my heart on this so I can give you my heart about this. So much deeper than information. Um, and we'll get to more of that in a minute. I wanted to read you an interesting article. In 2012, researchers at the University of Rochester replicated uh, the marshmallow experiment. Let me tell you what this is. I tried it with my kids, too, to see like how they would do. We did similar things to it, but I, I, I tried to do it like what their experiment was. It's a very basic experiment. They basically had two marsh. They had marshmallows. I don't know how many they had, but they had marshmallows, and they had kids, and they said to the kid, hey, listen, you can have this marshmallow right now, or I can give you two in 15 minutes. But if you wait for the two in 15 minutes, you can't have the one now. And if you take the one now, you can't have the two later. And you have to explain it that way to them, because I've noticed my own kids, I told them just literally how it was. I said, listen, you can have a mar... I did it with jelly beans. I said, you can have a jelly bean now, or you can have two later. You want to know what their response was? I want them all now. I thought it was so clear. I thought it was so clear. Obviously, it was not. So then I said, well, okay, you can have one now, or you can have two later. I want one now. So does that mean you're going to get two later? Yeah, and then I'm going to have two later. So once we get to the whole translation issue, okay, because there is an issue there, and don't think for a minute, like, that's not, like, the same with us and God. There's definitely translation issues, right? We got these bodies, right? We got the flesh. We got the enemy. We have our past experiences and all kinds of stuff. So once we finally get to the question, is, I, I was kind of proud of my kids. They chose to actually wait the 15 minutes to get the two. Once they actually got through the translation, which I was very surprised. I thought one of them was guaranteed to have it, right? I'm not even going to wait later. I'm not interested. So when they say marshmallow experiment, that's what they're talking about. So it says, right, in 2012, researchers, University of Rochester, replicated this marshmallow experiment. So that's when they're offering one to take now. If you don't take it now, you get two later. However, before doing so, 
they split the participating children into two groups, exposing one group to unreliable experiences in the form of broken promises, and the other to reliable experiences in the form of honored promises. So you with me? So they did the same experiment, but they put one basically with a person where they're like, oh, they said some things, but they didn't deliver. And then they put some in another group where they're around a person that said things, but then they did deliver. They subsequently found that the children exposed to honored promises waited an average of four times longer than the children exposed to broken promises. Pretty interesting, right? Everybody say, consider the source. It's kind of like what we do almost immediately when somebody tells us something like that, right? When there's like an interesting deal on the table, right? You consider the source. Thankfully, um, for the most part, Julie and I have been pretty faithful. They know like when we say something, like it'll mean something. So they knew that if I told them they'll get to later, that wasn't, I wasn't just blowing smoke, like it actually will happen. So they believe me on that. They ask for other things sometimes, and we're kind of blowing smoke at them, and they know it. <laughs> so they really try and pin us down. But the idea being, uh, people are much more likely uh, to be patient if they feel like they're going to win in the end. People are much more likely to be four times as likely, interesting with the kids, if they feel like they're going to win at the end. Um, Fulfilled promises is going to bring about patience. If I put a particular deal to you and some sort of situation happens and, and God asks you to do a particular thing, and whether that's, and when I say when, I mean that in some way you're going to like receive something. Nobody wants to wait for anything if they feel like they're not going to get it, Right? And so that very much brings us to God and his truths. And it makes us really look at ourselves and say, hmm, am I waiting? Am I having a hard time waiting? Because I really feel like he's not going to come through. Because if the research shows, and that's, there's not just one, but there's more. The research shows if we felt pretty confident that he was actually going to be true and faithful to what he said, We'd actually not only, number one, be able to wait, but we'd actually be able to wait well. Because there's waiting and waiting well. True? You can wait for something. And then waiting well is a little bit different. That means you're not super anxious, not really worked up. Um, You're not totally stressing out about it. I I wonder in the kids in those experiments, if they ask like every 30 seconds, has it been 15 minutes yet? Has it been 15 minutes yet? How much longer? How much longer do we have to go? Are you sure it's going to be two? Like, I wonder how many kids did that, you know? But it's interesting, this idea between fulfilled promises and patience being built. Fulfilled promises and patience being built. And so, I, I can tell you this, that I think that for a good amount of people in this room, and certainly for myself, I greatly desire to experience God's miraculous faithfulness. Say miraculous. I greatly desire to like fulfill that, experience that. And I also greatly desire to experience his promised provision. Say promised provision. 
I mean, those two things, it's like, wow. Like, I, I just, man, my heart just burns for that. Like, I want to experience that. I want to live in that. I want to know that. And I don't want a memory from, like, 25 years ago. I want to, like, to be kind of, like, recent. I want to be living in my past, like, like now. Like, I want to be with you now, Father. I want to experience your goodness now and know your promises now. And one of the greatest things that I could do to sabotage experiencing his miraculous faithfulness and his promised provision is by me making calls in my life and being impatient before his real fullness can be played out. If I jump the gun and I make decisions in my life that were not necessarily part of his timetable, it obstructs and it prohibits me being able to see what he really intended to do in the first place in the way he wanted to do it. So, like, I'm already throwing, like, I'm kind of pulling the air out of the bubble. And I, I so don't want to do that. And so we have, like, this difficulty, right, of being able to, to trust God, his things, his way, but that surfaces all this anxiety and just all this concern and we just don't really know and is it all even true? And then so you just want to react and do something, but then it's like, oh man, if I react and do something, like I could actually miss what he actually wanted to do in the first place the way he wanted to do it. You might get some of it in part, don't get me wrong. I used the word, it was fullness. You might get something in part, but I don't know if we'll be able to like really enjoy the full measure of really experiencing his faithfulness and his provision in the way he says it. So, that sets the stage for our man, Saul. Or, yeah, Saul. And we're in 1 Samuel. We're just going to check the passage out and pull out a couple of things. Because he is a pretty impulsive, everybody say impulsive? He's an impulsive guy. Stuff came, he wanted to move and act. And how many people know there's a place in life for impulsivity? I hope that if we're hanging out at Linden Park later today and we're walking through the park and we see somebody struggling in the water, I don't want to sit there and make a chart about if we should take an action or not. Not really time to analyze and think about it. I just want to jump in and go after Especially, you know, if your kids or my kids, man, go get them. Be impulsive. Right? If we come in contact with people in our lives that are in situations that just aren't good for them, they're suffering, like, you move quickly. Well, I don't know how to receive it, and I don't know what happened. But listen, they're in danger. Like, go help them. Like, there's times for being impulsive. And Saul, just two chapters ago, he was impulsive, and it was all for the right reasons, and it was 100% successful. They won the battle. Israel looks amazing. They trusted in God. It was all good. And then two chapters later, and the time span is probably like eight to ten years, his impulsivity in his nature is also like a two-edged sword. It's doing well when it's lined up with what God wants to do, but it's hurting him if it's not falling in line the way God wants to do it. So in 1 Samuel 13, it's going to kind of hurt him. So let's see what happens. So Saul was 30 years old when he became uh, king. He reigned over Israel 42 years. 
So Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. <coughs> Excuse me, 2,000 with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. A.K.A., that basically just means he formed up an army for himself. They never had an army before. He formed an army, had thousands of guys, so he's just building it up now. Verse 3, Jonathan, his son. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. So they attacked this neighboring nation, the Philistines. They were right next to the Israelites. There was always tension. and t- It's kind of like the Middle East. You know, there's always tension and turmoil, and they can like never get along. It's always like a second away from disaster. Very similar at this point in time with Israel and Philistines. Um, and geographically, they're really in the same location pretty much now. Uh, but they were always like had this tension there. So Jonathan, his son, goes up and attacks these guys. So Saul, his father, had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked, and technically it was really his son, but his son is leading the army there. Saul has attacked a Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. So in other words... He sent him, uh, his son went in there, uh, went aggressively in there. I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but that's what he did. And his dad sent out the message to everybody. said, hey, uh, basically, we just shot, fought, uh, shot, fired shots. I could do it. He, we just fired shots over there. And so everybody just get ready. Like, it just might come to something. Because the Philistines, are gonna, they're going to retaliate. They're not just going to take it. Verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel. And they came with some heat. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. And some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So they're freaking out. Because the Philistines got way more than what they have. And it doesn't look good. So they're actually, they're like leaving ranks, hiding in caves, getting in rocks. Just, they don't want to be around and be seen. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So the king saw, I know there's two S's, but trying not to get lost. The king saw, warning everybody again, everybody ready for this battle. Philistines show up, Saul's men, they're just freaking out, quaking with fear, it says, and they're hiding everywhere, so he's losing everybody. Samuel, the previous leader of the nation, and really is still is the spiritual leader, he told Saul to do a particular thing, to wait for him. He said, wait for me. Everybody say, wait. Everybody knows that's not real fun. Especially when everybody else is freaking out and everything looks horrible. But Samuel gave him those instructions. He said, wait. Wait for me. Wait for me. When I get there, We'll talk to God, we'll offer sacrifices, we're going to see what God has for us. Because Saul's role as king was to just really be king in a military sense. 
to protect, help provide. Samuel, his role was spiritual authority covering. So that was really his role. And in the Old Testament, those were very distinct roles. So it's like you had your king, but then you also had like your priest, the one that went out there for you. New Testament doesn't really shake out that way. But in the Old Testament, that's certainly the way that it worked. So, uh, verse 8, Saul waited seven days, a time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, this is Saul, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings just as he finished making the offering. Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. So he freaked out. He waited the time period. He felt like, well, it's been the time period that he said, seven days. He, he hasn't come. I wonder if it was like, you know, 5 a.m. on that seventh day and he's looking and he's like, ah, he ain't coming. I'm pulling the trigger. Who knows what the timing of day was? But he could see him coming, so I guess it wasn't probably pitch black at night. He had just finished giving the offering and everything, and then he sees him coming. He goes out to greet him. I'm sure with the look on his face, like, uh, you know, you know, when you get caught and you did something you weren't supposed to do, and you got that look. Verse 11, Samuel says, What have you done? And Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time. And the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. So his answer was, listen, everybody was running away. You didn't come yet. Philistines were getting more people assembling. I thought they were just going to attack us. We didn't do anything with God yet, so I just did it. Verse 13, you acted foolishly. That's what Samuel says. He says, you didn't keep the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin. And Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. <laughs> so he had thousands, five, 6,000 people or so. He's now down to 600. And you got just a sea of Philistines. He just made a bad mistake. One he was warned not to do, but he still made it. And Samuel's response, he says, hey, listen, God warned you in the very beginning when he made you king. He said, listen, you have to be, pay very close attention to detail. And one of the details, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, one of the details was Samuel told him, he said, listen, for that time when the Philistines show up, make sure you wait for me. And it was one of those moments where he's probably like, yeah, 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 I got it, got it, got it. No, you did not get it. You may have, like, listened to what I said, but you didn't hear what I said. And now that plays out. And so Samuel says to him, hey, listen. Like, you were warned about it. Uh, God tried to make it very clear to you. And you just felt victim to your emotions here. And so what's going to happen is, like, you'll finish out. He finishes out. I mean, he said 42 years as king. 
and Israel won a lot and they expanded a lot. But what the Lord had in mind, he had in mind to have his entire generation be blessed in such a way to where there would be kings over Israel. And Samuel says, hey, listen, that, that was the plan, but it's not the plan anymore. Like, the plan now is to have somebody in power who will not default to their emotions at critical times, and they'll focus on what God has said. And so there's somebody after my own heart. That person is David, King David, the famous King David, David and Goliath. So he tells me, he says, hey, listen, there's someone after my own heart. He's not going to be perfect. And we all know David and Bathsheba and a lot of mistakes he did. So he definitely was not perfect. But he was very non-committal. Like he wasn't giving in or budging when it came to allegiance to God and what he said. He says, hey, that's the people I want to lead in my people. And so that's what I'm going to put in store. Um, And so Saul finished out. And it's actually pretty interesting. God actually redeemed part of Saul's family so that Saul's family was always at the table in the palace, always there and taken care of is pretty interesting. Like David took it upon himself to do that for one of Saul's relatives because he just uh, respected and admired him so much because God chose him. Even though his life just had so many mistakes and problems. And we're going to keep reading about this whole scenario about Saul, about David, about just all this stuff. But I just wanted to pull out three quick things about why Saul did what he did and hopefully take away some things that we can learn better about waiting well and about patience. Number one, panic started with the people. Panic started with the people. They started freaking out. Everybody say freaking out. Yeah, they're freaking out. And it's interesting that the whole reason that Saul's there to begin with is they went to God and they said, God, we don't have an army. We don't look like all the other nations. We need security. So, Give us a king. We'll have somebody that will fight our battles. We'll follow everything that you say, but just put this person in place for us. How many people know that if you don't take care of your dysfunction from last season or previous seasons of life, putting a person or a method or an idea in place will not take care of it won't do it. If you're bad with money, you're going to be bad with money when you're poor, when you're middle class, and when you're rich. You will be bad. There's a root of thing. If you can't handle um, relationships well when you only have a few, you're not going to do well when you have more. Right? If you can't forgive like one or two people, you're not going to get close to a whole lot of other ones. (laughs) I think of, uh, you know, our, our, like our own church family right now. One big area, right, is, is our new building coming up. That would be a new season for us, having a new building. And we have to have, like, we have to come together as a church family in a lot of different ways to be able to have our own place, utilize it well, um, and really just leverage it for all the benefits that we can really use it for. And one of the ways that we have to like do better on that certainly is in a financial way, to where we all like come together and we do well together as stewards. Stewards. And so, man, I don't want to bring our 
immaturity and maybe our lack of the way we're doing finances. I don't want to carry that into like a new building, a new process, and have more things develop. Like, that'd be a big time problem. That wouldn't be good. You know, um, if you break up from a past relationship, from uh, whoever it may be, and whatever issues were there, you don't want to carry that into the next one. And you don't want to obviously carry struggles, doubts, difficulties you've had in your own life and like impart that into your kids' lives. Like you want to try and equip them so they do better than you. And some ideas and some plans and some people will help, but they don't take care of the root issue. Right? The root issue that they had was that when things got scary, when we look like or when we are overwhelmed, we need to just make a quick decision and just like just deal with it. It's like just fix it. I don't want to think about it anymore and just do it. And that was a problem that they had. And putting Saul in the palace didn't take care of their problem. So that way when they again are presented with an army, with difficulty, with a struggle, with a challenge, they didn't act any different than if they had a king or not. It was the same thing. So in my heart, I just cry out, like, Lord, like, I don't want to bring dysfunctions to a new season of my life that you haven't dealt with in the last one. So just deal with it now. I will cooperate with you now. It's going to be more problems later. Who wants to keep reliving, like, the same stuff? Like, you don't want to do that. Not interested. And a person, like, there's only one person that's really going to get it done. Right? That's the person of Jesus Christ. He will get it done. He promises to get it done. And he fulfills those promises. But again, the only way we get to experience that miraculous faithfulness is if we learn how to wait well and be patient and wait on. Bless you. So that was one. Panic started with the people. Then it just continued. Saul just like absorbed it. It wasn't like everyone was panicking, getting anxious, and getting nervous. And that's like a legitimate thing, by the way, to get anxious and nervous about. Um, Emotions, we said before, they could be indicators but not dictators. So they'd be totally justified to be feeling pretty anxious, pretty nervous, and pretty scared. You have a sea of people looking to invade and attack you. Uh, To act like it's not happening, I think, is pretty stupid. Oh, that's not really a problem. That's fine. Don't worry about that. that. That's like not a good situation, right? Or if we get like a medical report in life, it wouldn't be like, ah, it's fine. You know, God heals people, it's fine. You know, it's whatever. Like, no, like you should actually entertain it. Like that could be actually be something serious. Still pray about that. Don't budge on that, that God is a healer and that he moves. But like, talk with God about that. Or someone's in a lot of debt. Ah, you know, it's a lot of debt. We just made a lot of problems. You know, it's just the way it is. Ah, whatever. It's too much work to get involved on it now. That's crazy. Like, give them a chance to get in there and do it. It's going to ruffle a lot of feathers and change a lot of things, but why bring further dysfunction in even further? It's crazy. So panic started with the people. Unfortunately, it didn't stop there. It continued with the king. Then we see that patience involves a plan. It would say plan. Plan. So a big part of being patient, it helps to have a plan in place. Sometimes there's not always a plan. But if you can do one, and if there is one, that really helps. Like the kids with the marshmallows, they knew at least there was a plan in place. At 15 minutes, I'm going to get two if I give up the one right now. 
And if I don't go for the two, then I'll get the one. Now, there's at least a plan in place. And even in this situation, there's a plan in place. Samuel said, hey, listen, there's a plan. You might not like it, but you've got to wait for me seven days. All hell, probably and literally, will break loose. Just wait. I don't even know what's going to happen after. All I just know is you're supposed to wait, and then we're going to come, we're going to talk to God together, and we're just going to see what happens. How many people really like that plan? Yeah, it's, it's not like the most fun plan to agree to. Um, but it's kind of intentional. And um, I would say for our lives, when it comes to planning, there's two super, in question, two super important questions. One is, what did God say? That should like guide the plan, don't you think? What did God say? And what is he saying? So what did God say? What I mean by that is what he said in the word. So for Samuel and Saul's situation, Samuel said, hey, listen, wait for me. I'm going to come. And then he previously said, before I actually wait again, and he explained why. So God made it very clear. For us, we have his word, right? So we're going to have decisions about, you know, all kinds of things in life. All kinds of things. And some will be more significant than others, where patience is really going to matter. And waiting well is going to be really important. So, if you're in a season of life, or you've ever been in a season of life, or maybe you're in a season right now, and you need to make important decisions, there's no way, I don't know how you could be a Christian and make a decision before saying, all right, this is what God says about it, and this is what I'm holding on to in this situation. Like, before we would make a decision in life that's important, so before, like, you know, we make important financial decisions, before we make important relationship decisions, uh, before we make important, like, uh, I would say, risky decisions, you know, we step out and do things. If the first part of the plan is not, okay, what did God say on this one? Like, we're totally deceiving ourselves. Right? That's so important and so needed. And then the next part is, wait, and this is the glorious part. Everybody say glorious. This is the glorious part. This is the encouraging part. Is that he didn't just stop talking there. He speaks to us now through his Holy Spirit to confirm and give life and encourage our hearts for the moment now. So like he'll use something in here that he said, like we read in the beginning, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things will be given unto you. And so maybe that will be a word in somebody's life and they will hold on to that. But then what the Holy Spirit will do is as we spend time with him, we give him time to speak, he will have like a fresh message that is completely supported by that and doesn't deny that at all, but it so greatly and so profoundly encourages our hearts in the moment that's like, oh, like I have a word from God that I can stand on and be secure about and I, I'm okay with waiting because I know I will win, quote-unquote, in the end. So that plan of having his word, right? What did God say? Number one, that's the first question. And number two, what is he saying? If that can be, I hope that is our goal for us to be a part of our waiting and patience process. If we can't answer those two questions in the waiting, patience process, I think we're just spinning our wheels pretty much. It's not going to get real far. Anyways, we'll give it a good effort, but it won't last for very long, and it probably won't be super fruitful. 
and it certainly won't bring any glory to God out of that. So we don't even want to think about that. So panic started with the people. Then there was a patience, but it involved a plan. And then the last one here, which I think that certainly hits home. Uh, emotions can really complicate things. Emotions can really complicate things. Um, so I'll go to these, hey, why did, why did you, Samuel Gostone, why did you do this? How, how come? What led you to this? Well, let me tell you, Saul. Everybody started freaking out. I started freaking out. They were getting bigger. You never came. What am I supposed to do? And really, the answer is, of course, we know, easier said than done. The answer was, man, you just, like, wait. I don't know. You just wait. Sometimes that's all you got. You just wait. Because here's the danger. Um, He was doing things he wasn't supposed to do. And that wasn't helpful. He was trying to act like a king, and he wasn't a king. That's bad news right there. So God's definitely not going to bless that. And then the other thing, he gets into the B word. We talked about the P word. He gets into the B word, and the B word is blaming. When he becomes like, impatient, and we're not able to wait well, there's a good chance blaming is not too far behind. Because if there's a reason for me to be like the way I am, and that's your fault, some people just stay there. Right? In other words, like, basically I am the way I am because, like, you did that to me. So I can't forgive you because you talked to me that way. And so, you know, I won't. Right? Or I won't do this because you did that to me. And so I'm going to respond that way because you responded to me that way. And so many people live in that lie and in that trap where there's no life. Just this blame game is horrible. So I am this way because it has been done to me. And so now I have no choice but to be a victim to it. Oh, man. That's just sad. That's really sad. Here's why it's sad. Blame is not a blessing. Man, on that? No, it doesn't help. Blame's not a blessing. It becomes a burden that leads to bondage. It becomes a burden that leads to bondage because what happens is that burden of blaming, like that's something we can actually get pretty good at and blaming a lot of people and some people have a real knack for that. You can blame others really well so you never really absorb any accountability, responsibility, or ownership. So it's really never your fault ever in any degree. Um, And then what happens is then we can get just into this bondage just way of living to where it's just it's always somebody else's fault for the reason why I can't. Instead of living life in a way to okay, how can we get this done? How can we move forward? How can I bring life? Where is the spirit looking to move? See, people that focus on blame, they're just stuck with well, it happened to me, so not now what? I don't know. And it's like oh, that's so sad. And there are legitimate things that happen to people. I'm not saying that there's not, and I'm not trying to suggest that. But I am saying forgiveness is a choice. Right? It is a choice. And, of course, I hope we choose that more often than not. It is a choice 
to become uh, wrapped up in the emotions of the moment. It's a choice. It's, it's a real deal situation in this situation where emotional levels are high and they're anxious and there's a lot of worry and there's a lot of uncertainty and they are very overwhelmed. But how many people know, especially in the Christian life, you can completely be overwhelmed, but that does not mean that you are out in not mean that you are out I want to just show you something super fast, okay? I promise you, super fast. Because everybody was freaking out. It was a numbers issue that really got them worried, right? They wouldn't be as freaked out if they felt like their army was bigger. Like, okay, you know, we got a good chance. We got a good shot. You know, we won our last one, and it's pretty comparable. Like, we can get this done. This is in Second Kings 6. Verse 17. That help if that was actually in 2 Kings, not 2 Samuel. So, super fast. 2 Kings chapter 6. Check this out. One of my favorite passages actually in the Bible. One of my favorites. Similar situation. They're surrounded by an army. Verse 16. It says, don't be afraid. It's Elisha talking. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Overwhelmed, but not outnumbered. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Overwhelmed, but not outnumbered. be a big mistake for Israel to say, eh, it's not a problem, don't worry about the Philistines. Like, no, this is a real deal situation. Like, we have to, like, we need, we need to engage right now. But we can't do it out of just pure anxiety and pure fear. And that's what they chose to do, and a lot of times that's what we choose to do. And I love, what I really like about that particular passage is it never says anywhere that Elisha actually saw all the chariots of fire and the army around. Can I suggest to you for a moment that he didn't need to see it? He just already knew. Because God already told him he was going to protect him and watch out for them. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. So, three observations panic started with the people. And it's going to happen. Things will come up. Panic will want to creep in. Anxiety will want to settle. And that's going to happen. But hopefully, the traction, for the most part, stops with us, and we're able to have some poise, the other P word, step back. Okay, man, this looks bad. And it feels bad, and I, I don't like any of this. But there's no way that God would bring us into this and completely leave us. There's no way. There's no way that he would ask me to live life a particular way and then completely abandon me. There's no way in 15 minutes I'm not getting my two marshmallows. He's good. He's good on it. He's a good source. Number two, patience involves a plan. What did God say? What's he saying right now? And then three, emotions can really complicate things. And notice I didn't say like, 
they're bad and they're horrible. I just said they can complicate things. They can complicate. If they have too much of a pull, they can complicate things. They can cloud our decision-making and our ability to reason well. But they're there because they're giving us a reason to respond. So patience and waiting well. What a necessary component of the Christian life. If you want to experience God's miraculous faithfulness and his promised provision, this is critical, being able to wait well on the Lord. And what does that look like? It doesn't mean you ignore emotions. It doesn't mean you ignore what's going on. It doesn't mean you just totally freak out the whole time. You lock yourself in your room. Like, just run to medicine. Like, no. Like, there's some practical things that we can do. And sometimes we might only be left with, hey, listen, here's the plan. God said, just wait on me for right now until I give you the next step. Sometimes he just has to be enough. So I wanted to uh, pass out the elements for communion here. If we could get a couple of people maybe to help me out. Kelly, do you mind?